Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. It is Friday, March the 19th, 2021. We open today by joining the concert of prayer mixed with outrage across the country and around the world over the worst mass shooting here in the United States in more than two years. Eight people are dead. Six of the victims are women. Four of them identified by police as Asian. You're going to also hear that six of them are identified as of Asian descent. Um, The president of the United States has ordered flags lowered to half-mast in their honor. Solidarity marches are taking place nationwide. And it has certainly brought to national attention a rising tide of anti-Asian incidents um, across the country. That is one storyline, one thread. And you are going to, um, as a Christian, you are going to have to be a part of the chorus of people who say... um, Race-based hate and violence is always wrong. It's always wrong. It doesn't matter uh, the, the the color of your skin or the way uh, God happened to form the shape of your eyes or your hairline or your hair color um, or whether or not your hands and feet are malformed. I mean, on and on and on and on and on goes the the bias and the targeting, the bullying the hate, and yes, the violence against people who, just because they don't look like us. Can you imagine uh, a more sinister and evil sin? I cannot. Every single human being, every single human being is an image bearer of the living God. And when we feel, when we feel, when we feel something toward that other individual that is anything less than we would feel toward Christ, we sin. And so when Jesus says, hey, it's not just murder that raises the ire of God against you, that, uh, that inflames his wrath, it's the way you feel about that person. And so, yes, we are going to talk about personal temptation And we are going to talk about the storyline, how could a Christian, how could a kid raised in a Christian family who went consistently to a seemingly very faithful Christian church, who went to Bible study and, um, and served in the name of Jesus, how could that kid, whose youth leader described him as a typical teenager, how could that kid do this? But the conversation that the wider culture is having is about um, something that is targeted toward women and targeted toward people of Asian descent. And that's a conversation we have to have as well. Um, So there's lots of threads to pull in this storyline, and we're going to begin to do so um, with Matt Hawkins. He joins me next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. 
And joining me now, Matt Hawkins. You can find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Matt, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. Good to, be, good to be back with you. All right. Which one of the threads from the story do you want to pull first? What would you like to focus in Gosh, on? Gosh, so so many. Uh, and I think we're just, what, uh, a few days out from this. And uh, it's going to get a lot more complex, I think. Uh, I, I think so, too. Kinda, yeah. So right. let me just start with this, and maybe we can encourage people in this direction. Yeah. Um, there is a temptation to speculate right now. And yeah, so sure. um, yeah. Matt and I are not going to speculate. Um, as we learn more, right. we'll be prepared to say more about particular parts of this story. Um, but we want to be people who are interested in the facts, and we are people who are interested in then preparing as Christians to engage in the conversation that's happening today, which means we have to re- prepare again tomorrow um, as more comes out. So where where do you want to start? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you were right to, uh, in your in your opener discuss how different different folks different kind of tribes within the US are going to re- are reacting to this right so we as we as church people uh see someone who uh was a part of the church it's a little unclear how recent he was part of the body but clearly he was uh, uh baptized and uh, had come to faith uh, supposedly um in the context of the Southern Baptist Church and uh you know a church that now has uh, pulled all of its social media and, and web presence offline um that, and so we we who kind of among kind of a, within the American church folks and frankly probably white evangelicals we're, we're looking through this with a particular lens, uh, and then Asian Americans are looking at this through a particular lens, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, six of his six of the eight victims were uh, females who have Asian descent, at least, um, and so that looks that I mean. This is mass murder, number one. Um, mm-hmm. But when you have that many um, victims um, fitting a, a particular kind of uh, ethnic profile, uh, I, I, you know, I don't blame folks for asking uh, about, uh, you know, um, racism uh, here. Um, I think I think you're right. We're, we should be cautious to uh, draw too many conclusions about what's really going on in this uh, in this guy's head. Um, but here here's the takeaway that that I would underscore right now that I think doesn't require speculation. Um, the fact is that this can happen within a Christian church. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen it now in a Southern Baptist church in in Georgia. Uh, we saw it, um, the, uh, the murderer who attacked the Poway, California synagogue was in a Presbyterian, an Orthodox Presbyterian, um, tradition, uh, and someone who enunciated very, that was clearly, I mean, he, he outright stated this was racist, uh, his race, it was very anti-Semitic and, and rooted in racism, uh, but someone who enunciated doctrines of the faith. Um, and I think that's not something that uh, a lot of American churches are, are prepared um, to conceive of, n- number one, and then number two, uh, have any kind of categories for uh, how they might look at um, extremism kind of among our own ranks, so to speak. Um, now, I'm not one to take those two incidences um, and others and kind of uh, paint with a broad brush and, and say so far that, you know, this is happening in churches all across the country, right? I think, I think that's, a, that's a bridge too far. Um, but we know it can happen. Uh, society, generally speaking, we're having an uptick. Uh, there's a kind of a, a trend line in um, uh, these, you know, violence. Uh, we saw January 6th, uh, the invasion of the Capitol. 
a lot of that, a lot of that was surrounded with uh, Christian icon, you know, iconography uh, with crosses and uh, um, banners waving Jesus's name. Um, all while, all while a, a group of a significant group of people stormed the Capitol and then committed violent acts. Um, so I, th- you know, that that's kind of my takeaway, Carmen, is is that I'm seeing. You know, something that we kind of outsourced, frankly, after 9-11, we kind of uh, outsourced uh, and easily blamed uh, Islam uh, for for mass murder. Well, it's coming out of uh, Christian churches in the U.S., Um, maybe maybe not as uh, in the volume that we saw um, with uh, Islamic extremism abroad. um, But, you know, given the attention Right. And the focus that we put on Muslim Americans. Right. And their faith uh, when uh, anytime anytime a Muslim guy uh, committed acts of uh, terror um, or other murderers, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's I don't I don't think it's uh, I think it's fair game for uh, people outside of Christianity to ask us to look at our faith and our and our practices. Um, I think that's fair game. Uh, now, obviously, like you, I don't think that uh, there's a Christianity, a, a trend in Christianity or anything in the Bible that would justify uh, violent acts and racism. Clearly, that's, that's anathema. Um, but, you know, uh, churches where we're vague on things like politics and racism, I think that era is past. Do you know what I'm saying? There's um, there's a old quote from Quintilian, a Roman rhetorician uh, from the first century. Maybe you've heard. It says, quote, and, or at least this quote is attributed to him. Quote, we should not write so that it is possible for the reader to understand us, but so that it is impossible for him to uh, – it is impossible for him to misunderstand us. Um, and that resonated with me this week, um, along with James three, right? We recognize the tongue has the power to set fires or steer ships. Uh, and I think the the day where, uh, churches and, uh, particularly pastors could kind of vaguely nod to political issues and cultural issues. Um, I think those days are over. Uh, I think we have to be more explicit um, and uh, certainly the condemnation of things. Um, and when, our, you know, rhetoric and, and you know, if you if churches are teaching particularly about like end times and, and eschatology, uh, what is metaphoric versus what is real, uh, I think I think we had to be really, uh, you know, far more precise and explicit about what uh, what we do and do not mean. Does that make sense? Is that am I mm-hmm. am I stretching the no. <laughs> stretching the no, theme no. here? No, no, I think no, I don't think you're stretching the theme. I think um, I have I have listeners texting in right now. Um, you know, everyone has the same questions, and so let me affirm that if you are. If you're texting me, and I want to encourage you to do so, eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four. I get it. Um, I get the I get the threads you want to pull. I get the directions you want to take this conversation. I promise you, we're going to continue talking about this story in the days and probably weeks and months to come. Um, this young man is going to face justice, uh, and the questions related to who these uh, individual victims were and their stories are going to come forward. Yes, for those of you raising the question and alarm about sex trafficking and a business that appears mm, to yeah. be legit and very well may be a front for human sex trafficking, 
that is a storyline we have not heard yet. And I don't want to speculate, but I also recognize yeah. the reality um, of, of the pornification of our culture and that yeah, we, that we live in a culture where human flesh is demanded. And, uh, mm-hmm. and there's a market then that meets that demand. And who is held accountable for creating the market? Um, yes, we're going to talk about temptation. We're going to talk about the proclivity to sin. We're going to talk about the responsibility of the church to teach the goodness of sex and God's design and not just the wrongfulness of particular acts outside of marriage. Like, I get it. I get it. You guys are all thinking about the right things. There are a thousand ways we can go in the conversation related to um, this event in Atlanta. And I promise you we're going to continue to unpack and unfold this story over time. Um, Matt Hawkins and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're actually going to pivot and have a different conversation. We're going to talk about um, euthanasia laws across the country um, and around the world. And because this is something we have to keep our eye on as well. In the midst of the pandemic, nations are just killing people that they don't want anymore. And I, I that might sound um, overly dramatic, but it's actually happening. And so... Um, Matt and I are going to pick up that pro-life story, which is really um, a headline about death. And that's next. All right, continue my conversation with Matt Hawkins. You can find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Um, Matt, you and I, when we talk about issues related to pro-life, we do not just focus on um, uh, pre, you know, preborn life. Um, we also talk about every stage and age of life, and that means mm-hmm. we talk about life at the end of life. Bring us up to date on what is happening um, in relationship to physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia um, practices and policies. Yeah, so we're seeing some movement on this euthanasia front, which uh, let's let's be clear, as I was saying before, has to do with pre- with uh, ending people's life because they're too old uh, or too sick. Um, that's anathema for the Christian faith. Um, we uh, believe in uh, caring for people at the end of their life. Um, the Baptist faith and message, the tradition I'm a part of, uh, includes uh, statements as we should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. Um, Lots of ways we could go on this. Uh, Mainly the headlines are from Spain, Canada, and our own New Mexico. Uh, So Spain is is allowing uh, physician-assisted suicide. Uh, Canada is expanding the definitions of who legally qualifies for physician-assisted suicide. Um, and New Mexico, the Senate has passed a bill, uh, so it's not law yet, um, but the New Mexico Senate has passed a bill um, uh, um, that looks like it will it will allow physician-assisted suicide. Um, uh, and this is not passing by small margins. Uh, the state Senate there passed the bill 24 to 17, uh, although it appears law, largely along uh, party lines. Um, it's basically a right to die law. Um, and, uh, this ought to, ought to concern us. Um, it's something I think my sense is that we're really distant, uh, from end of life care, right? Um, a lot of reasons for that. Um, it requires, uh, typically significant medical 
medical expertise, right, to take care for someone uh, in their end stages. Um, but we don't have, in the way that earlier generations kind of had uh, our elderly, our grandmothers and grandfathers, aunts and uncles um, at home during their during their last days. That's just not a thing in our culture, and so it's a, it's a remove. It's the our experience largely with death and dying, uh, is one that we've uh, we largely can avoid uh, for most of us, right? Um, and I think I've we've seen this uh, this impulse towards us. You, you kind of see, I think, uh, in the pandemic why these laws passed, right? Um, we've seen in the in the pandemic. Frankly, I've seen surprised at the level of shoulder shrugs that I have seen, even within Christian circles, um, about the risk that the pandemic presented to elderly um, in their care, and as if we ought not be concerned about transmitting uh, viruses to them. They're just kind of shoulder shrugs when per, when we try to advance precautions for them. Um, that's and so you get you get this situation where uh, it's distant from us, um, and we don't think it's about us at all. Um, and we kind of err um, in the in this Western individualistic nation. Uh, we tend to err towards uh, what what you could call individual sovereignty. Um, instead of what we would call a biblical individual dignity. And so we kind of outsource sovereign decisions like life and death uh, more to individuals here um, uh, for people who are like sick. And then uh, we uh, see people as commodities. And so uh, when people are unable to uh, decide for themselves their care, uh, we think it's okay um, to expedite uh, their death. Um, and that's that's not not an acceptable position for Christians. Um, we want to affirm hospice and palliative care, which are very different, right? They're caring for people at the end of life and making uh, making their uh, departure more comfortable. Um, but those are my thoughts on, on this. I'm not, I'm, frankly, Carmen. I'm not sure where we go. I, I don't. I'm kind of at a loss for um, uh, any any kind of uh, plan um, uh, to address this. What are your thoughts? So a couple of thoughts. I think that the uh, the observation about outsourcing or the impulse to push death away by pushing dying people away um, is something that we as Christians must deal with. Um, mm-hmm. I think that if you're a Christian and you know you have you have grown comfortable with mom or dad or grandma or grandpa um, or an aging aunt or uncle, I mean on and on, go go however far outside, uh, go extend as far as you want into your family tree. Um, and ask yourself, are any of those people living in a facility where I do not know, I, I personally do not know whether or not they were bathed in the last day, they are sleeping mm. in a clean bed, um, and they have eaten a nutritious meal? And if I don't know yep. the answers to those questions, I am complicit. And, mm. and, so I, and, 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 and that might be placing some sort of you know, mental or psychological burden on people listening right now. But if you don't know, if you don't have eyes and ears in the room, if you're not getting there on a regular basis, then mm. then figure out how to reconstruct your life so that person can die with actual Christian dignity. And yeah. and so I, I, I got to tell you, I'm I am inflamed when I see people on the news, you know, outside of a, of a nursing home where one of their loved ones died and they hadn't mm. been there in a year or two years Ugh. or whatever. Yeah. Like they they don't know. And yet now they want to hold the nursing home responsible for you know the death of their aged loved one let me tell you death comes and it's coming for all of us 
And mm. as it is being done unto those for whom we are now responsible, it may well be done unto us in worse ways. So, you know, part of this is, you know, I want to demonstrate to my kids and my grandkids exactly how I think grandma should be taken care of by demonstrating to them, you know, how I care for my parents now at, at their age and stage of life. Um, because, yeah. you know, I want to be teaching generational respect for the aged. And, and yeah. the only way that that happens is for you and I as adults to demonstrate just exactly how dignified the care needs to be for those who are older than us now. Because one yeah. day we're going to be the older people, and we are now training up a generation uh, that they're not just going to unplug our machines. They're going to actively give us drugs that kill us, and it's going to be legal. Like, I, yeah. So even if it's just a purely selfish line. motivation, <laughs> even if your motivation is purely selfish, like now's the time to get on the right side of this as people who care about the dignity of every person um, and who recognize that, you know, God loves old people. God gave Moses yeah. a mission at 80 and equipped him for yeah. it. Um, so yeah. God loves old people. We should, too. That might be the right. um, maybe that should just be the shirt for the day. Maybe. I got, we got to go. And especially, I, I, yeah. yeah I'm, <laughs> go ahead. Make your make your final well, point because I've run, run over our time. Well, I, I was at a I was at a pastor summit locally here uh, in Wilson County, Tennessee, and uh, a lady from a local assisted living community uh, basically said, look, uh, these facilities are, you know, they're shut down. They, they can't go. Um, the residents can't go anywhere, basically, um, for their own care and safety uh, in light of the pandemic. Uh, and so a lot of those Christians um, uh, who are part of those uh, residents, they can't go and get church fellowship like we would. And so mm-hmm. he, she was basically making an appeal uh, to pastors and churches to send people just to talk talk about Jesus with them. Uh, it's not even evangelistic. It's just encouraging other uh, other believers who are stuck and isolated um, in this time. So the, the problem is, I think, is real. Uh, I think it's, it, it extends beyond even the, uh, the euthanasia issue. Yeah. Um, thank you for those of you texting in on this topic as well. Uh, I love the interaction on our text line this morning. All right, Matt Hawkins, thank you as always so much. You guys can find Matt at MatthewTHawkins.com. Blessings, brother. Thank you, sister. Absolutely. We'll be right back. You too. All right. The Weekend Worldview Reader is up next with Dan DeWitt. Um, So tempted to just play the entire audio from the satirical video that he is uh, that he's highlighting this week at the Weekend Worldview Reader. But I'll leave that um, to to us. Um, Well, maybe Paul could, you know find us a brief cut from it you know he's so good he's got nothing else to do while he's producing this show what so dan <laughs> what dan dan dewitt's gonna be up next we're gonna hit some stories that um you know frankly i i haven't hit yet and i know that you are interested in one is the story about beth moore um and then we got one here on like who gets to determine who is or isn't something a conversation about anti-semitism uh, we'll see how much we can get to dan dewitt is up next it's the weekend worldview reader The teen years always bring with them a measure of turbulence. But as a parent, you need to discern when the bumps are a passing inconvenience or a major warning sign. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. When your son or daughter struggles for more freedom or makes mistakes that put you on edge, that's entirely natural. But if they're causing harm to themselves or those around them, it's time to get help. So watch for signs such as marks on their body. Or take a look at the interaction they're having online. When you come across dangerous behavior, 
don't be afraid to call in the experts. When your gut instincts are shooting off flares, don't wait. Get help right away. There's more from Mark Gregston on the Parenting Today's Teens website. Get helpful tips for moms and dads when you visit ParentingTodaysTeens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. joins me right now from Cedarville University. We are simply going to roam around in the Weekend Worldview Reader, which you can find posted at theolatte.com. Dan, welcome back. Thanks, Carmen. Good morning. Uh, good morning. Can I just can I just start at the top of the list and um and just I here's what I'm, here's how I'm going to tee this up. Um <laughs> I'm just going to say uh Beth Moore and then I'm going to let you respond. We haven't talked about this story yet at all um, on the program. Um, and so tell people what has happened and then maybe any just viewpoint you want to give on it. Well, if I had to respond in one word, I would say sister, mm, um, because amen. as Christians, that's how we are to view one another as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And Beth Moore recently, um, an article came out that she is no longer affiliating with the Southern Baptist Convention. And um I was asked recently by um, some religious leaders who I, I, I would imagine aren't, um, you know, leading kind of the Beth Moore, um, you know, cheerleading society. They, I don't think that they would be feel, have the same feelings I do about her. They asked, well, why do you think she left the Southern Baptist Convention? And my response was, who can blame her? I mean, she has been treated poorly online, which is a real problem for Christians, their use of social media, and not only social media, um, but these viral videos, these little clips that organizations sometimes release that not only do they not have context, if we have more context, it could be even worse. And so Beth Moore is no longer um, um, going to publish future projects with Lifeway. She severed that contract and no longer officially affiliated with the denomination anymore. So uh, it has it has fomented a larger conversation about others who, um, you know, maybe are leaving or disaffiliating, uh, you know, as a person, Dan, who might be uh, might be remembered as, I don't know, some kind of like methobacterian. I recognize that we during different. Did you just coin stages, that? Is that like a? Is that a thing? No, it's Method. a thing. It's a thing. Everybody <laughs> like, yeah, out there, uh, out out here among the mutts. Um, there are all kinds of ways of putting together like, OK, well, this is sort of my denominational lineage. I, I think I, I've never been an Episcopalian. Um, and so that's not in mine. But there are other people who have these little you know, words that, that that they have cobbled together to you know, identify sort of their well, where they've been across time. So, you know, sure. I was uh, you know, when when I was born, my family was in a congregational church in Muncie, Indiana. Um, I don't remember that, but uh, when we moved to Tampa, Florida, they joined a United Methodist Church. Uh, after my dad died, I really couldn't return there. It was too painful for me. And so the Presbyterian Church was literally across the street, and my young life leader was the uh, high school Sunday school teacher. So that seemed like an easy place to go. I joined. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when I became a Presbyterian. Not because I understood any of the theological differences among any of those. Like, right? I was a kid. Yeah. Um, 
And, you know, and then following seminary and lots of years of service in congregations across the country, um, I'm now a Southern Baptist. And people might say to that, that's like a great, okay, but I'm in a church that I love where the gospel is faithfully preached um, and where I'm in genuine fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ who love me and whom I love and who encourage me in my ministry and I in theirs. So, or, or, and, I, and I encourage them. So, like, I'm in a real church. Does it matter to me what the denominational moniker is? You know, frankly, it doesn't. And maybe yeah. that makes me a problem. Like, maybe that creates a problem that I don't care um, what mm. denomination a particular congregation is a part of if, if it's a real church, if it sort of, like, meets the marks of a, of a church. Well, and that's a great point, and people who are listening who may not know what the Southern Baptist Convention is, it's really a network of loosely connected independent churches. I mean, there's no controlling kind of body that, you know, these churches meet together, send representatives once a year to vote on things, but they're really just a collection of independent churches that identify with Baptist doctrine as broad and as narrow as it can be at times. And so what, what Beth Moore is doing is not saying that she's changing her belief system. And that's, I heard someone kind of suggest mm-hmm. that Well, she's, mm-hmm. you know, accepted some different view other than what the, would be stated in the No, she the just Bap- didn't want to be abused anymore. That's right. And, you know, th- <laughs> I can think of no one more encouraging right, to exactly. be honest, just to be honest, she, her social media stream is filled with scripture. And so this idea that, and periodic pictures of her donkey, which frankly for me is cause to follow her. That's that's right. And you know, I I my mom has been deeply impacted by her writing. My wife mm-hmm. has been deeply impacted by her writing. I have been deeply impacted by her writing and have in a book I wrote about Peter um started with Beth Moore's uh comments on the life of Peter because I remember from years ago it really made an impact on me. And so we just need to be kind and to show honor to whom honor is due. These basic Christian virtues, you know, Paul says that kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Um, He says to clothe ourselves with kindness. And so some of the response that we see from people who could be orthodox in so many ways, we have to recognize that being unkind and uncharitable is a lack that is not an orthodox practice. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so we need to be able to recognize that. And the fact that Beth Moore would disassociate with the uh, denomination, um, that she's had issues with some of their leaders, one, not standing out and speaking out against moral issues related to the the former president, and then also just the fact that they're unkind to her. Um, it's heartbreaking that she's no longer affiliated with the SBC, but you know what? The kingdom of God is way bigger. Denominations Amen. will rise and fall, um, but the church will go on. Amen. 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 Okay. Hey, let's take a very brief break. Um, When we come back, um, I would like to uh, peel the lemon. Mm -hmm. I'm going to... Dan DeWitt and I are going to peel the lemon. His name is Don Lemon, and I, I, yeah, he's a, he's on CNN. But we got to talk about him. That's up next on this this version of the Weekend Worldview Reader on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. This is a new day. I love our listeners, Dan. Um, as soon as I mentioned Don Lemon, people started telling me they've been praying for his salvation. So there you go. That's the uh, that's the context um, of, of the listeners out there this morning. Why are you and I talking about Don Lemon today? Well, Don Lemon responded to the statement that the Vatican released related to um, 
that Pope Francis sanctioned that they are unable to and feel like it would be <clears throat> that they're not able to bless um, same-sex unions and to put it on the same level as the sacrament of marriage between a man and a woman. And so Don Lemon said in response to that, God is not, not about hindering people or even judging people. And so a lot of people are responding to that, and we have to take a step back and recognize Don Lemon is saying exactly what a lot of people think about God. And so is he right? And if he is, um, then what's that mean about us who believe the Bible? And then we have to ask, well, how does Don Lemon know that God's like that? Making a statement that God's not about hindering people, is that Don Lemon hindering God? Hmm. You know, I I think that the uh, my immediate reaction when I watched the clip the first time was, here is a person who does not believe in the reality, certainly not in a sovereign God, certainly not in a God uh, before whom he is going to be personally judged, and feels instead as if he is in a position to judge not only God, but everyone who believes in God. Mm-hmm. So for me, there was this—my um, prayer that went up was related to his, you know, his arrogance and obviously his blindness in relationship to the reality of God, and that one day he is going to stand in judgment. Like, I, that's going to happen. Like, he's going to stand before God. And that's—that ought to provoke an empathy— um, for him. And so that's why I just so appreciate those listeners who, you know, immediately said, oh, yeah, Don Lemon, I'm, I'm you know, praying for his salvation. I, I think that's the right response um, for Christians to have. And yet I think there's a robust conversation for us to engage in in relationship to, you know, who God is and who can stand in judgment of him. That That's absolutely right. I mean, you know, when someone makes a statement like that, it does sound very empathetic, um, loving, you know, let's find a way to unify and not alienate people. But you have to realize that at the heart of that is a claim about the nature of God. And the question mm-hmm. is, do we get to define God or not? There's an essay by C.S. Lewis wrote years ago that I think is so helpful, and it speaks right to this issue. It's called God in the Dock. And at, at the first time I saw the title, I thought it meant was like a, a nautical reference, you know, like God's a boat somehow you know, tied up in the dock. But the dock is a uh, British expression for where someone who's on trial would sit in the courtroom. And the idea is that we think God is in the dock. He's the one on trial, and we're the judge. And really, that's the statement Don Lemon made. He's placing himself in a way that he gets to define God on his own terms. And what Lewis said is we have to remember over and over again that we're, we're, not on, we're not the judge, and God's not in the dock. It's the other way around. And so if God exists, and if he has revealed himself, then as Francis Schaeffer said, that changes everything, and it means that we don't get to define God on our own terms. God is not—if we create a God in our image, that is by definition an idol. And so we all have to be humbled, no matter who we are, where we come from, or what we struggle with, or what our last week looked like, or what our plans are for this weekend. We all have to be reminded that we fall short of God's glory— we don't get to define him. He defines himself. He's revealed himself, and he's gracious and kind, and he bids you to come. 
He, he's provided a way for you to be forgiven. So you don't have to try and redefine him and dilute him to where we could feel more comfortable, but rather to come to him on his terms, which are terms of grace and faith and the cross. And uh, But then we have to walk away and say, God, I want to worship you for who you are, but then I want to become all that you want me to be. And that's hard for every one of us, no matter what your struggle might be. All right, I'm talking with Dan DeWitt. We're talking about just a ton of stuff that appears in this week's Weekend Worldview Reader. We don't have time to go through the whole list, so you're going to want to check it out at theolatte.com. Um, Dan, um, down at the bottom, you have, um, you always give us a video. And this week's video <clears throat> is from one of my uh, favorite uh, YouTube channels. So can you tell people what we're, what we're, what we're watching, what they could be watching, but uh, Paul has called out uh, like 50 seconds of the audio. So set it up for us, and then Paul will play the audio. Well, to set it up really quick, this is, um, it's, it's satire. So it's kind of making fun of this really you know, influential um, historical Christian, St. Patrick, who was a missionary, um, but he is known for giving these analogies to help explain the Trinity, and they're not always helpful. And so there's a setup. <laughs> okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time. So try to keep it simple. Okay, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms, liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! All right, so this YouTube channel is uh, Lutheran Satire. This particular video is St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. Um, and, uh, or actually, this is St. Patrick's Bad Analogies. And so you can find it. You can find the link at theolatte.com if you scroll down this week. Um, talk with us about, you know, maybe just the use of, first of all, satire, um, but also just the use of, of, cre of creativity to communicate. I mean, this video very effectively gets me thinking about heresy. It gets me thinking about modalism. It yeah. gets me thinking about the Trinity. It gets me thinking about whether or not I'm thinking rightly about God. I mean, on and on and on. Well, yeah, and so probably no better denomination to do satire than the Lutherans. Uh, Martin Luther, if you look at kind of his sketches and some of the things he said, he you know really perfected it, not always in ways that we should follow or emulate, but um, I think satire has its place. Obviously, it could be misunderstood. Obviously, it could be offensive at times, but that's kind of the point. Sometimes it's to stir us to thought, um, to think deeply about what are the ways that we're seeing things that we don't even realize that they're comical, irrational, unhelpful. And what they're getting at with St. Patrick is, you know, Patrick is just trying to explain these biblical doctrines. But if we're not careful, we'll end up promoting something we don't mean to promote. Alistair McGrath talks about, the theologian Alistair McGrath talks about the Trinity as a safeguard doctrine. It, it safeguards the mystery of the triune God. So when we talk about the Trinity, it doesn't mean we understand God, but rather we have these parameters that are clearly taught in Scripture 
even if we can't fully make sense of it all. And so when Patrick's using these analogies to try and help explain it, it, it illustrates both the need to be creative, but also some of the, the limits and warnings. We want to make sure that we're always clear, never promoting heresy, um, but we do want to communicate to people in ways that will get their attention. And so I think this video kind of illustrates all of that, the potential and the, the uh, pitfalls of creativity. Uh, I just, I, I love the way that you, um, you don't just take us deep into concerns of the day. You also take us wide and you're looking at things that we're not always looking at. All right. Um, we have, um, we've run out of time. I was going to say, let's try, let's try to deal with one more thing, but we can't. You guys are just going to need to go to theolatte.com, grab this week's Weekend Worldview Reader. The book that's highlighted uh, this week is 10 Questions Every Teen should ask and answer about Christianity. That's a great resource as well. Dan, as always, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Carmen. Absolutely. All right, that's Dan DeWitt with the Weekend Worldview Reader. We'll be right back. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. That's the worst, Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, if I haven't told you yet this morning, um, I totally love you. I love the listeners of this program. Um, I love the way that you engage. I love the encouragement that you send me. Um, thank you for the person who asked the question, you know, how might I respond today? What's the biblical response to the situation in Atlanta? Um, let me just highlight a couple of things, maybe maybe three practical responses. First, let's be praying. Let's be a people who are praying for the families of the victims. Let's be uh, praying for the perpetrator. Let's be praying for his family. Let's be praying for um, the church of which he was a part. Let's be praying for... Um, people who are trafficked for um, the sexual gratification of others. Like there are so many layers to this conversation. Let's be praying for Asian Americans today. Um, let's be praying. Let's be praying. And then let's be asking God to reveal any areas where we need to repent of sin today. Let's remember that, you know, sin when it's fully grown is what brings forth death. And so the best time to repent of sin is right now. And so let's ask God to reveal to us those dark corners, those addictions, those proclivities, those temptations, and let's bring every thought captive to Christ right now, and let's agree to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, actively at work within us, seeking to bring us into greater conformity with who Christ is. Like, let's do that. Um, and then let's submit our day to God. Let's submit our day to God, and let's ask Him to manifest the fruit of His Spirit in our lives. Let's focus in on Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and let's ask God to bring it forth, to manifest it in ever-increasing measure. Um, let's ask God to sanctify us completely, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Let's ask God to leave no area of our life, no area outside of his power and control today. All right, we've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.